Joining us today is Dr. Temple Grandin, and we're super excited to be able to talk with her today, especially since she's got a new book out, and we'll hit on that very shortly. And it's very exciting, especially for leaders, because there's a lot of stuff in this book and that she discusses with the visual and auditory learners that will be extremely beneficial for leaders of all levels as they try to develop their teams. Dr. Grandin, thank you, and thanks for coming to our, our well, discussion today. Well, good to be here tonight. Wonderful. If I could just start us off, for those listening and watching that have never heard of you before or talked to you before, what motivated Temple Grandin, young Temple Grandin, to become Dr. Grandin and focus into the livestock industry? Well, the start in the livestock industry was exposure to it. I was raised outside of Boston, and there were not much livestock around. But when I was 15, I got exposed to cattle. At my boarding school, we had a small dairy. And then also out at my aunt's ranch, I went out there, went out for left the Boston area, went out to a ranch in Arizona, and got exposed to the cattle industry. So that brings up a really important thing. Students get interested in things they get exposed to. And I mm. tell students, you need to get out and experience a whole lot of different things, find out what you like. You also need to find out stuff you don't like because you wouldn't want to study for a long time for something you turned out you did not like. I mean, there's been <laughs> uh, students where their parents uh, made them become a doctor and they found out they didn't really like being a doctor. No, well, that would that, not that's be not fun. a good thing to do. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, thank you. That's awesome. We'll jump into talking about your book a little bit here. So thanks for sharing that little bit about your past. In your newest book, Visual Thinking, you discuss that they're basically visual and verbal object visual and spatial visual thinkers. Yeah, there's two what kinds. Are... There's two kinds of of, of uh, visual thinking, and unfortunately, okay. and there's a lot of scientific studies where they're mixed together, which is wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole chapter in visual thinking about the difference between an object visualizer like me and the visual spatial. Now, my kind of mind thinks in photographic pictures, and I absolutely can't do algebra. Now, the kinds of things that my kind of mind is good at are animal behavior, photography, art, and mechanics. This is really interesting. Art and mechanics go together because you can see uh -huh. how a mechanical device works. Now, the visual spatial, that's your, they're pattern thinkers. That's your mathematician, computer programmer, musicians. Those are the people that get degrees in engineering. But what I have found with the optic visualizers, I've designed a lot of cattle handling equipment, and I've worked with a lot of people at large metal working shops where they patented lots of equipment. Most of them just had a welding class from high school, but they could just visualize how to make things. That's really interesting. You, I noticed you separated the two types of visual learners from the verbal learners. That's what are right. some differences between the visuals and the, and the verbal well, learners? Verbals think in words. Verbals think in words. So when I did book visual thinking, I would write the initial drafts and my thinking is very associative. It's not linear. Then Betsy Lerner, my highly verbal co-author, would smooth it out and reorganize it. So that's an example of two different kinds of minds working together in a very, very complementary way. That's really important, especially when we move into the business world. Um, we well, have all I'm sorts of a lot of stuff in this book at the business world. 
Because one of the things that motivated me to write it, I went on a trip just before COVID, 2019, and I went to four places. I went to a two state-of-the-art pork processing plants, a brand new poultry processing plant, and the Steve Jobs Theater. And the equipment in the poultry plant and in the pork plants, all of the clever machinery, most of it came from Holland. We used to build that stuff. Steve Jobs Theater, the structural glass walls came from Germany, Italy. Now the people I worked with are retired. But what's happening? Why is this coming from Holland? That's because they kept their shop classes. There were two big mistakes that a lot of our industry made. I know the most about the meat industry, so I have to use that for an example. But about 20 years ago, uh, the company shut down in-house engineering departments where they could mm -hmm. make, make equipment in a shop at the plant because it was cheaper at that time to just uh, contract the work out, just locally to metal working shops. Well, now that's coming back to bite them because the new shops are not forming because they also took out the shop classes 20 years ago. You say, and I was the kind of kid that used to go, I'll tell you, you know, put the stupid kids in shop. Well, I'll tell you, it's not the stupid kids. Object visualizing is a different kind of thinking. And if you look at a great big plant that for any kind of food, the degree engineers would do the boilers and refrigeration, make sure the building doesn't fall down. But the people in the shop that often barely graduated from high school would make all the mechanically clever equipment, think packaging machines, and patent that stuff. Mm. That's where we're losing skills. And it's really serious. And then I was locked up for a year with COVID. It was basically our COVID project. So I called up oh, Betsy okay. and I said, let's do a book. And that's what we did. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing that book. It's been, that's been very eye-opening. And what did you find eye-opening about it? So that's a good question. The distinction between the visual learners was the most eye-opening to me. Uh, that there are two distinct basic yeah, groups it, of visual learners. And there's a whole and, chapter on the studies that show that. Now, I did a two-week-long book tour, and I went out and gave one of my book talks at a, at a high school, and I talked to the principal, and he was shocked. He didn't know what visual thinking was. When I started telling him that I think about things in, in photos, well, I'm the kind of kid at that school would screen out because to graduate from high school, mm -hmm. You'd have to be passing algebra and calculus. And Correct. so I had to major in things that required less math. I had to drop a physics class. I had to drop a biomedical engineering class. But what's happened is I've done a lot of engineering work. <laughs> but it's what I call the clever engineering department. And all these shop people I worked with that patented all kinds of stuff, it was a single welding class that got their business started. Or they grew up working on cars. Mm. That was the interest. And they started as tiny shops. And then grow. That's really cool that you're talking about that because I didn't know that there were visual thinkers until I read the book. Okay, I guess I you must be a verbal thinker. Well, you know, I took your little the, the little exam at the beginning yeah. of the book okay. where you do the 18 questions, and I scored seven. So I got seven out of 18. So I'm pretty in the middle, but I never thought about thinking in a visual way before. I've always thought about it in a linear verbal way because well, that's the that, way that's always you presented see, my way of thinking is not linear, but there are certain kinds of problem solving I'm really, really good at doing. I have a chapter in the book on disasters. Doing, I have a chapter in the book on disasters. Mm -hmm. And you see, engineers, your degree engineer calculates risk. The object visualizer can see, see a risk. 
And let's take Fukushima for an example. Mm -hmm. The mathematical engineers did a great job of making earthquake proof. It shook and it shook and it shook and everything was fine. But 20 minutes later, the tsunami flooded the site. Mm -hmm. And if it had had simple watertight doors, everything would have been fine. But they didn't see the water going in there and drowning the electric emergency cooling pump. Now, I, don't, so that... I can't design a nuclear reactor. All I know <laughs> is that that pump doesn't run when I need it. I'm in an awful lot of trouble. And it's not going to run very well underwater. That's true. So there's a, a dire need to have both types of we thinkers. We need both kinds of minds. And where we're losing skills is what I call the clever engineering department. There's another interesting uh, kind of experiment that was done. It was called Marine Innovation Boot Camp. So you've got MIT-trained engineers. Then you've got a bunch of Marines, a lot of truck drivers. Give them a pile of junk and tell them to build a vehicle. The truck drivers were actually better at doing that. The green uh -huh. engineer kind of didn't know where to start. But you need both. Let's take mm -hmm. uh, something like the Mars rover. Mathematicians got it there, but somebody on a workbench built the beautiful cameras because they would fit in a large shoebox. They're not very large. Somebody made those on a workbench. It's mission critical, too, and they have beautiful mm -hmm. wiring. And if you look at the selfies that the rover took of herself, and also the Chinese rover, there's beautiful hand-done wiring on both of those. Yeah, they did just a great one job. Or two people did. <laughs> sure, probably was. Well, from the a... cameras are too small for more than one person to work on them. Oh, yeah. They're really ingenious, the, the yeah, level they are. of work that they did on those rovers. Well, they've made them really stout, because I was driving to the airport the other day, and I was listening to the radio, and they said that one of the rovers not Perseverance, one of the earlier ones, was only supposed to last a few months. It's 15 years old and still working. When the dust gets blown off the solar panels, then it starts to work again. <laughs> that's, that's a testament to American ingenuity yeah. when they actually are doing their great but job. I get asked all the time in education, what would I do? I'd put all the hands-on classes back in. Sewing, cooking, woodworking, theater, music, carpentry, metalworking shop, welding, auto shop. Taking those classes out is a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. Because where's that kid that should be starting that shop? I'll tell you where. He's playing video games in the basement and going nowhere. And they're not getting fabulous video game jobs. That's, you know, there's a connection. That's when I do talks at autism meetings, I use the same slides I show in corporations. I've done talks for IBM, for U.S. Steel, uh, you know, tech companies, uh, laboratory equipment companies, and I explain to them how you need these skills. You know, I've got plant customers right now that have lost all their in-house ability to build simple hydraulic things oh. that they could have easily built 20 years ago, easily. It's horrible that we, no, it is we horrible. push ourselves into that, into that uh, problem, basically. Well, we it is horrible, that and that was one of, the, one of the things that, you know, triggered writing the book. Then I started looking things up, and I found out that the state-of-the-art electronic chip-making machine came, came from Holland. It was invented here. Mm. The science behind it was made in Holland. That's... Well, you see, that goes back to taking the shop classes out. Now, <laughs> some states are starting to put it back in. Minnesota's starting to do a thing where they, but they somehow, people say, well, we put the stupid kids in the shop. I'll tell you right now, it's a different type of intelligence. I mean, I was on construction sites, big, complicated Cargill plants being built big complicated pork plants being built. And these, these are not the sort of things done by stupid people. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about floor piles here. From a, from a team leader perspective, as you, you mentioned something earlier about that different types of learners, the thinkers have to work together. From a team leader perspective, what can a team leader do to determine where their team members fall in these three groups? I mean, the first step a team leader needs to have is to know that different kinds of thinking exist. I get asked these questions all the time. And um, how can you tell? Well, the mathematicians are good at programming, good at math. Uh, my kind of mind likes to build things, often good at art, often really good at fixing mechanical things. But if they've taken all that stuff out of the school, then the person doesn't have any way to show those skills off. But the first step is realizing that they exist. And I've seen an interesting division of labor. Every single large construction project I was on for meat plants, when I spent considerable time out in the, out in the construction site, the degree engineers, boilers, refrigeration, roof trusses, snow loads, wind loads, power and water. My kind of mind is inventing clever mechanical equipment. So the team leaders, they need to learn about those. What can they do to try to put their team leaders in those groups to figure out which ones are which? They've learned about the different well, types the thing of thinking. Is people have kind of the freedom to move around, that gravitate towards uh -huh. the things they tend to be tend to be good at. Now, one of the problems with the verbal thinker is they tend to overgeneralize. See, both the visual spatial and the object visualizer is a bottom-up thinker. Concepts are formed by putting pictures into boxes on a spreadsheet. It's bottom-up, same way as a computer would think. So in order to be good at thinking, you've got to experience lots of stuff because I got to fill up the database. And when I first started designing cattle handling facilities, I went to every feed yard in Arizona and I worked cattle. And I basically took all the good design bits throughout the bad design pieces and put them together into new systems. Then add a few things I saw from some harvesting equipment or some other thing. I'd get an idea. That's awesome. One thing you mentioned a couple minutes ago is that I've heard you talk about it a couple of times, how people tend to generalize and say, if you're a visual thinker, that they're, they're the stupid kids, basically. Well, they first go to of all, shop the, class. the ones that say the kids that go to shop, the stupid kids, they don't even know about visual thinking. Mm. But they'll say, well, your kids go to college, but there's certain things that the degree engineer, the more mathematical engineer, doesn't do very well. And right now, there's getting to be a lot of mathematics and science. I mean, they'll go out and do the fanciest statistics. And I review a lot of journal articles. I tear apart the method section. I go, wait a minute. You didn't tell me what the concentrate feed was, but you fed your animals. What was it? It matters. How did you house your animals for your nutrition experiment? Things this basic people are leaving out. And in, th in visual thinking, I described the case, there was an article, The Devil's in the Details, where millions of dollars worth of cancer research was ruined because the two different labs used two different devices for mixing cancer cells. Oh. And it totally changed the results. It was a magnetic stirrer. The other one was a little Ferris wheel contraption. I've forgotten the name of it, but I call it Ferris wheel amusement park for test tubes. And they mix the cells in different ways, and it wrecked the results. It matters what device you used. Well, you see, I see the devices. Mm -hmm. I see them. I know what they are. I've been around enough labs that I know what the stuff looks like. It matters. And I've seen papers where you have all kinds of fancy, fancy, all kinds of fancy stuff to do with genetics and everything else. The paper was on the mother rat uh, pup retrieval behavior, and they didn't tell me what they housed the mother rat in. It makes a difference in the pup retrieval behavior.
That's why they need somebody like me to go over the method section. That's a good idea. When it comes to a team, team dynamics, what can a team leader do to facilitate well, better team dynamics? All right, this is way types? too vague. This is way too generalization. All right, let's make it, let's make a team to do some specific thing. Okay. And then I can kind of tell you who you know that see that's way too vague. What what is the team going to okay. build something? Are they are or are they government? What what do they do? That's good. Let's go with a, a government team that they're formed together to to find a cure for a virus. All right, which is something that was done during COVID. Mm -hmm. And and uh, you know there's the old saying, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. But sometimes, I think it was one of the vaccines, you know, there's been the discussion of why you need to go to the office. And there was a lady that was a researcher on vaccines and stuff, and they, everyone thought mRNA was stupid. And her, she had all the pilot grants rejected. And then one day she met the right person in the copier room. Mm. So that's why you need to go into the office. You know, then the right two people got together and they didn't think her stuff on MRNA was stupid and they made it work. At this point in our conversation, I was intrigued by Dr. Grandin's discussions on the learning types and how we can apply them from a leadership perspective. I wanted to know how we could apply these concepts specifically to a small team application and hiring new employees. We eventually got into a discussion about a fictional elderly benefits fraud team and gained great insight on how the learning types could be leveraged to better facilitate team investigations. While this discussion focused on a fictional fraud team, the principles learned about the work types and the learning type assignments applies to various aspects across the board. If I can, if I heard you right, the first thing they did or the first thing they need to do is put people in the office together so they can get together and talk to build that respect between each other. But on the other hand, you've got, all right, let's take, let's say we're gonna develop, okay, this is a nice platform now, this Riverside um, uh, broadcast platform, very nice platform, easy to use. Now, the visual thinker like me is the one who designed the interface, a nice, simple interface. Take the iPhone, Steve Jobs wasn't a programmer, he was an artist. Mm. So he made an interface that was easy to use. The, the mathematical programmer had to make it work because the engineer and more mathematical type, they put too many features on it, make it so complicated, nobody can figure out how to work it. I got more gadgets on my car than half of them I don't know how to work them. That's <laughs> true. It's There's just a lot of buttons complicated. On the car. But you uh -huh. see that one person make the interface and the other person make the programming and make it work. Well, iPhone would be a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Putting them together gives them that opportunity to work together to learn those differences. But I think it's important that they recognize what they can bring to the project because I learned a lot working with Betsy. She thinks totally different than me, but we knew completely on what our strengths were and we made a perfect team. I always did the rough drafts. Then she would organize them. She'd look up more stuff and then she might say to me, well, maybe can you look up some more stuff online about this? And I spent hours online looking up scientific papers looking up origin of equipment companies and just all kinds of stuff. When leaders are, are hiring, I know that we, this is a little bit off, not in that direct line of thinking, but um, leaders are hiring people and we spend billions in this country hiring people. What can, what are some things that they can do to try well, to think, you know, for build a more people, diversified team? Your best programmer and your best mechanic 
probably aren't going to interview very well. Uh. And that's something we need to change the process. One thing I learned about Betsy, the verbal thinker, is I'm very concerned about kids growing up today totally separated from the world of the practice. I had a student in my class who had never used a ruler. Oh. They aren't, uh, you know, I had a mom at the book signing tell me that, well, she didn't want the kids using paints because they were too messy. But for Betsy to understand a simple concept like le leverage, she and I got on the same little elementary school science website. That did not work. And I finally said, Betsy, all right, if you ever tried a, a paint can lid open with a screwdriver. And then I explained how that was a lever. Then she understood but I had to relate it back to something she had actually done. Uh, so if you have people totally removed from the practical, I'd be worried about them making policy about stuff. I noticed in your book you talked about job shadowing is a way that well, we yeah, can help build those bridges to try out the career first and get a feel for it before they actually jump into it. You no, know, I, I tell students, I don't care what you're majoring in, you know, help professors with their research. I get career relevant jobs in the summertime. So you can kind of try on careers, find out what you love, but you also need to find out what you hate. You know, some of the tech companies that bring them in, they have like, you know, competitions where they do programming and stuff. You see now for my kind of mind, the way I sold jobs is I simply showed off pictures of my projects. I just mm -hmm. showed them off. That is how I sold jobs. I would just show off my drawing and I just show the work. I learned to show my work. Mm -hmm. That's how I sold it. Well, it's not going to do any good showing that to HR department. <laughs> That's true. But you see, let's say on your, on your, you see, I have to have something specific. Okay, you were doing criminal, okay, fraud investigations. Mm -hmm. How can how can we attract visual thinkers to a fraud investigation team? I have to have some specific information before I can help you. Okay. So well, give me we, an example of a case. We'll give I you an example. I with specific examples. I don't work in generalities. Okay, we'll make sure it's specific. So we have a beneficiary receiving disability funds from the U.S. government. Okay. And they have a fiduciary that's appointed over them to manage those funds. So this and, could be a person that's not capable of running their own finance. Correct. So they might have intellectual disability. Yes. All right, what's wrong um, with the person? So with the, the beneficiary, the problem they have is due to age and dementia, they've got All right, Alzheimer's. So they've got to manage Alzheimer's. Okay. So, right. so they can't manage their own finances. Right, the fine. government's yeah. appointed okay. a fiduciary over them. Um, when, when they're putting the team together to go and do this investigation. Well, you've got to make sure, first of all, the money goes to benefits for that club, that mm -hmm. person who's got Alzheimer's. So they got a certain mm -hmm. amount of money each month that's supposed to benefit this person. Yes. All right. What did they and, do with that? And it's supposed to be used to take care of them, to pay for their housing, their food, etc. Oh, when, so, so this person's living in a home, or they're in a nursing home. Well, that's that's good. They're generally right, in a nursing home. Kind of details so I want. Our, for our situation, the person lives in a, a nursing home. They're single because they're spout. They're a widower. Is right, so a single living point. in a nursing home? And, yes. And, it, and now this money originally is coming from the government to pay for nursing care. All the services a nursing home would give. I know that some of these places are understaffed and people have gotten bed sores and other things because they didn't do the nursing care correctly because they were understaffed. I've read some so, stuff about nursing homes. Oh, See, good. now you're getting into specifics, something I can visualize. I read a lot of stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I read about some of the nursing home 
stuff. It's nasty. So if we had a, a visual thinker on the team. Well, they're going to drill down and want very specific information. You talk about a beneficiary getting some government funds. Well, I don't know. Maybe the beneficiary is the bank. I don't know. You see, I've got to have have a, maybe it's a dinosaur. Now I'm seeing the, the cute green dinosaur at the Sinclair gas station. <laughs> but I've got to have specific stuff where I can visualize what it is. So, so specifics at, are very important when working with visual thinkers. Well, and verbal is less problems, abstract. But let's go back to Fukushima. Okay. They didn't see the water coming in there. So they didn't uh, put waterproof doors on it. See how basic that is? Mm -hmm. And we had a gigantic nuclear power plant meltdown. Radioactivity all over it, a horrible mess. That's why they need a visual thinker to work on safety systems. That comes real they handy, made it actually. Perfect for earthquake proof. Perfect. They didn't make it waterproof because they didn't see it. I was shocked at they didn't see water coming in there. And I looked up historical data that there was historical data that they knew that tsunamis would breach a 10-meter seawall. If we go back to our example about the beneficiary in the nursing home. All right, let's go back to the nursing home. To put that, um, put that, the story about the visual thinkers that could have solved a little bitty problem at Fukushima, putting it back to a more... Let's go uh, back to the nursing home. Okay, the so nursing someone home gave example. a certain amount of money to that nursing home. Well, you see, a nursing home has got, you know, electricity bills and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going through all the costs you'd have in a nursing home supplies that you'd use on all the patients so that money go into a general fund or was that money supposed to go very specific things for that one person who had Alzheimer's? Ah, uh, that's a good point. Okay, but you uh, see, that's an important point. Yeah, that is. Because if I'm running a nursing home, an uh, electric bill covers all the patients in there, food, all the patients, supplies, staff work with more than one patient. Or was that money supposed to pay for an attendant just for your patient? See how I'm breaking the problem down Yes. Now? But you see how a visual thinker would be helpful at breaking this down mm -hmm. uh, to figure out exactly what they did with the money that they shouldn't. So uh, a question comes to me about training because companies, we, companies do a lot of training for their employees. What types of things can companies do to give training that will be better suited for visual thinkers? Well, specifics. I tend to like case histories. Okay. Yeah, Cases. like, okay, let's go back to fraud stuff. Okay, we've talked about a nursing home that they bought new cars. Okay, when we talk about a fake blood testing machine, you see, those would be the specific examples. Different types of fraud and the scale of the fraud was quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, then you have construction fraud where you cheat on materials. There was a bridge that collapsed in. Um, in Minneapolis because the gusset plates were half thickness it was supposed to be. That's cheating on materials. So case histories are a good, case a good measure to Case histories work really well. And, and so I like to, uh, like just something like when I was learning how to write a journal article, and I, my students, I have to say right now, they don't teach writing anymore. So my writing is pretty bad. But what I would do, like to, different journals have different formats. So I'd like copy a few papers where I could copy the format, how they format it. I'd rather just look at that than read the author instructions. It's all long verbal text. I'd mm -hmm. rather just look at the article and say, well, okay, this is how they do the title on their paper, and this is how they do the references. And 
So using it sort of like a template, that could be That's something right. else that would be helpful. Well, yeah, not writing a totally different paper, but mm -hmm. use the uh, the paper, some other papers as a template for how to, you know, just the format of the paper. You know, like some journals, or intro has to be 200 words mm -hmm. across. You know, they've got some rules like that. That's awesome. So, But I like case histories. I learn sort of more by that. Case you know, if I was doing fraud investigations, I go, oh man, oh, we got another nursing home case. You know, and there'd be some similarities. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. I have a couple little questions left for us. We've covered a lot of ground today. But I'm just saying, but you see how I'm going for very yeah. specific information to help figure out where the fraud was. Mm -hmm. We got to stick with the specifics, and that's a big difference. When we're See, dealing with the difference. two, a verbal thinker tends to be very top down with general principles. Fraud is bad, and and I and some of the fraud I think some of the worst is with the ripping off old people. Mm. You know, defrauded some some old lady out of her social security check. That to me is just terrible. I agree, it is. Yeah, that's the stuff I think is really terrible because it causes real physical hardship for that person, mm. and I really relate to that. You've given me a lot to think about, a lot to write down, a lot for my review and my report. What's the what's the legacy that Dr. Grandin wants to leave behind? Well, I want to see the kids that think differently, you know, getting good jobs. I'm worried, especially, especially about my kind of mind being screened out for all the math requirements. And the thing is, you need my kind of mind. I gave a talk to an airline. I gave a talk to a steel company. I said, you need my kind of mind to keep your mill operating. I mean, I noticed things. I've been on some dicey elevators lately. They're not getting fixed. They're skipping floors. And then I was at a major airport just a, a week ago. Four guys working on an escalator. Well, three had gray hair. Well, uh, these are, I, I don't see them getting replaced. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I look at stuff like that. That was a week ago. Major airport. Had an escalator mm -hmm. all torn up out, all torn apart. And I go, oh, boy, look at those conveyor chains. Looks like something out of a meatpacking plant. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you take them all apart. And, you know, so three out of four of them were great. Very great. We got to do a lot more to bring, bring flesh blood back into it. You need people to fix stuff like elevators. Also, mm. the elevators and escalators are coming from a European company does them now. They used to be Otis's for elevators. You know, this stuff we're not making. It's going back, taking out these shop classes. It's coming back to bite us right now. We need the different kinds of minds. Mm -hmm. And mechanics for airplanes you know the person that's probably gonna be the best at that is someone that's built custom cars well thank you so much for your time i have one last question for you today what new projects are you working on that you'd like to share with us well let me think i'm doing a lot of talks because i want to i'm, I'm seeing a lot of parents getting locked into labels a kid might be labeled autistic adhd dyslexic I went back and went through all my jobs, and I'm going to estimate 20% the welders, machinery designers, and drafting people that were laying out entire factories were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. Mm. Absolutely serious about that. And I, I see parents get locked into the label, and they can't imagine their kids capable of doing anything. And they're ending up in the basement playing video games when they ought to be out building things. And then I even see situations where both parents are programmers, their kid's a little math genius, and they don't think to teach them math. See, a big problem we've got in autism is it's such a big spectrum. 
you're going from Elon Musk and Einstein, who didn't speak until age three, to somebody when they become adult, they can't dress themselves. And it's all called the same thing. So you go, people think it doesn't make much sense to have Einstein and somebody who can't dress themselves be named with the same condition. That doesn't make much sense. That doesn't make sense. Because the problem we've got in autism is the parents that have the very, very uh, severe kids that you can't do normal activities like shopping and stuff. And then I see the parents overprotect, and you've got a 16 year old fully verbal, they've never gone shopping by themselves, they're not learning any skills putting so much emphasis on academics, they don't learn how to do laundry and do shopping, mm. which is really important too. But this covers this big, huge spectrum. Mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah, this is the problem. And when they grow up and they get into the business world, it's a it ends up being a problem because people put labels on them that they, they're not smart well, enough for the, the thing job. Is, well, they never end up in the business world. The kids that ought to be fixing that those escalators at the airport are playing video games in the basement. There's a connection here. Or fixing a factory. Or inventing stuff. I mean, you got masses right now, the Millennium Tower, I've got to look that up. The building's probably gonna have to be condemned. Tilts another six inches, the elevators won't work. <laughs> if they got trillion dollar apartments and I wanna give you five cents for an apartment in the building. <laughs> I don't even hardly wanna go in there. No, that's probably a wise, but, a wise thing see, to do. Uh, so they didn't put the pilings down to bedrock. And they were on filled mm. ground. And a well, visual an thinker visual would have helped thinker, with construction that. person would have been, could have, should have been saying, that's crazy not to put the pilings down a bedrock. It's going, to sil- it's going to sink because it's on, it's on filled ground. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks okay. so much. I really enjoyed our talk today. I've, I've learned a lot. Talking with Dr. Grandin was truly amazing. In today's discussion, we found several hidden treasures regarding leaders maximizing team output and cohesion by leveraging the various types of thinkers on their team. Dr. Grandin shared that there are three types of thinkers, object visualizers that become artists and mechanics, spatial visualizers, which see patterns and become musicians and engineers, and then lastly, verbal thinkers that think in words in a more linear format. She also pointed out that years ago, Companies shut down their in-house engineering and mechanical departments in favor of less expensive outsourcing, and schools subsequently shut down shop classes. Now, the U.S. is suffering with a lack of skilled manufacturers and inventors. Leaders need to foster environments where both types of visual thinkers and verbal thinkers can work together. She gave a great example of where these three could work and work together to help with disaster prep and response. Spatial thinkers tend to calculate risk while object thinkers can see the risk, and verbal thinkers can employ a step-by-step mitigation and recovery plan. Drilling this down to a small team-level discussion, leaders should empower the types of thinkers in various positions to plan for and mitigate all types of risk and find ways out of a crisis faster. Dr. Grandin also shared that leaders should do three things. One, know that there are different types of thinkers. Two, determine where each person on the team falls, and three, cater or funnel people to the type of work and the positions on the team that they gravitate to and are best suited for. Additionally, she shared that bringing the people into the office is the quickest way to determine where they fall and to get a free flow of information. Lastly, 
she discussed that leaders could encourage and foster learning opportunities for team members by one, trying new ideas or tying new ideas and learning concepts to something that the team members already know and are familiar with. Two, by allowing team members the chance to work with other types of thinkers so they can learn and work and talk together and get a chance to see each member's strengths. And three, provide case histories for visual thinkers because the devil's in the details. If you've found as many treasures as I did on this excursion with Dr. Grandin, please join me next time for our exciting season finale. I've been employing the treasures that we've found and we will talk to those on the team that I've been leading to find out which worked well and which did not. It will also be a no-holds-barred discussion about my ability to lead. You don't want to miss this because I don't think this has ever been done before where leaders will publicly have members of their team tell them what they did wrong or what they did well. So don't miss it. I look forward to having you on next time on our final excursion for this season. Thank you.